And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, as it's been lovingly called in the past, Mike, Mike, and Mac. I am your first of three co-hosts, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike, to introduce our beloved third co-host. Yes, Q Mark Morrison, Colby Mac of Colby Told Me and Minorities Report Film. It's your long overdue return to MMO, my friend Colby. Welcome. Oh, yo, what up? It's your boy, Colby Mac, and I'm boom, 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 boom. <laughs> See, we can't do that. That's why we need to have you on more often, too, because we can't pull that shit off. We do it, and I'd end up literally pulling something in me, like a muscle or something. A muscle. <laughs> a back muscle. <laughs> oh, man. I missed you guys. Missed you, too, but we were just talking in the pre-show. We, we, it's been way too long since the three of us have played around on this, but we have an A24 movie to play around with today. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is getting... I guess the Oscars profile treatment, it's certainly at least a movie review, and if you've not joined us before for a movie review or an Oscars profile, we're giving you two reviews for the price of one. Uh, the first half, we will not spoil anything within Bodies, Bodies, Bodies from A24. It'll be all spoiler-free. We'll talk about the critical reception. Colby actually had the pleasure of seeing this at South by Southwest. We're going to get his input about what that was like and the viewing experience he had there. Uh, otherwise, at the midway point of this episode, you'll get a spoiler warning, and the second half of this episode will be all spoiler-filled. We'll go in and out throughout the plot and let you know what we thought about the paces of this movie as they happen, Michael. Yeah, I was excited to get Colby on for this one because I remembered his South by Southwest review. He was really high on it from 824. Uh, we had the premiere back there in Texas, Colby. So tell us, you know, you, you, you hinted at it in the pre-show. Tell us what it was like to be on the ground at the gala uh, in Austin. I mean, it's super swanky. I'm so happy that I got a chance to get to South by because um, I thought like Sundance that the in-person element to that film festival was going to be canceled. And I'm glad mm. that I had the wherewithal and the resources to take my minivan. Shout out to Miss Carol, my 2019 Dodge Grand Caravan. And I drove from Atlanta to Texas and I lived in my van for the week. And it was the best decision ever, right? Because like one, when everybody is parked and just waiting for hours to get to the Paramount Theater, I'm chilling in the back of my van like the man with <laughs> snacks and my feet are like feeling good because they're not standing up. And I'm all like just chilled out, ready to go inside. And man, when you get inside, this prestigious theater with all the history and stuff like that, you're absolutely glamorized and ready to just have whatever is being presented to you earn you just earn and win you over, right? So I will put on Front Street that I had to like this. And what we should all go into every movie wanting to like this. But when you have the history, the glamour, the intrigue, the folks who I've spent countless hours digitally on Twitter with, meeting in person, I was absolutely ready to fall in love. But then it was very, very easy when you see the cast come out. I'm talking about Maria Bakalova in like this amazing, super duper red miniskirt with like a blazer. And she's got like this wet hair. And I've seen like she's a tiny woman, but legs, my God, <laughs> legs. I mean, it is just it truly is fantastic. Like, I mean, I'm just like, yo, this is this is great. Like it's it Lee Pace. My gosh, that is a majestic man. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. He's just got this presence about him, and I want, and it's no wonder as why like he just gets so much work. There is this energy, this zen that just he's got an aura that like just follows, like it just it runs off. It's like this invisible, just you just want to eat it, right? So like, walking <laughs> by this man, it was like, okay, I get the magic that makes this film work. The ensemble like is impeccable. So seeing everybody in person along with the director. Man, it, it was a great night. You know, I got my popcorn. I've got my – I love hard cider, all right? Like, that's my go-to. 
All right. Nice. Give, me a, All right. give me a nice cider. I'm happy. The prices were fair. It was a really, really good night. And just seeing the light, I got a great, I got a great seat as well. Um, and stuff like that. Folks looking out for your boy. So it, it it was it was fantastic. I can't wait to do it again. Like I me and the Paramount, I cannot wait for 2024, uh, 2023, and I'm hoping that the mics can be there too. I am so. I was just gonna say I'm so envious that you got to be like my spirit animal because I think to myself <laughs> how I would love to like camp out in a van and wait for all these film festivals. But my body, speaking of bodies, 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 like if I slept <laughs> in the back seat of a car for all those hours waiting for it, I would be paralyzed. I wouldn't be able to move. I wouldn't make it to the showing if it was four feet across the street. So I got to live vicariously through you for this type of stuff. I mean, that sounds freaking amazing, Mike. You have experience being in any of these film festivals. How does that experience that what Colby just described differ from what you usually are used to at the NYFF versus is uh, what your what was our viewing experience seeing this movie ourselves? Well, yeah, I mean, New York and Tribeca is a little different because I'm just like I don't know why I pronounce it like that, Tribeca. But uh, basically, into your Italian roots there. Yeah, you're yeah, on Tribeca. like you're on like seven subways, and I mean, look, I, I like I get to PJ Clark's early. I've, this is you know, everybody understands what I do. Mm -hmm. I go somewhere, I look to eat, mm -hmm. and 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 Colby's uh, talking about snacks in the van. That's probably much more comfortable with the AC feet up. That's the way to go. And yeah, not doing the subway life, but totally, uh, totally jealous of of that experience, Colby. We gotta meet you out there someday. Yeah. Austin is definitely sure. a bucket list city for me. My brother keeps going, and he keeps because uh, it's like the live music, live comedy, live everything south what by was the heat like colby mm. oh see that's the thing i like the thing that just completely blew my mind is that that was the one thing i did not check so we're talking mid-march it is cold the first night when i slept in my hmm. van like it was freezing i'm talking really? about low 40s like it was super wow. duper cold and then You're it like warmed up a little bit yeah. but the thing is <laughs> i'd much rather be cold and put stuff on than be hot and take stuff off uh, I found a nice place to be able to camp out at night, and like it just worked out well because I'm starting my day early. I'm ending it super late, like around like you know one o'clock in the morning. I sit here, take my van, I jet back to the uh, to the uh, patrolled and video like surveillance uh, Walmart parking lot. I sleep for about five hours, wake up, go to Planet Fitness, I work out for a little bit, I shit, and then I shower, and then I'm back <laughs> at the convention center. So it was great. That's awesome to hear, man. <laughs> that is quite the lifestyle. And look, I mean, everybody received it well when it hit South by. I mean, we had Rotten Tomatoes numbers upwards of 97% as of last week. It's down to 90% right now and 126 reviews for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. 68 meta score and audiences are you know, you think that the with the numbers coming down, audience scores would be lower. But not so much. 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, 6.3 on IMDb. Uh, like I said, the Metascore is 6.68 there. Box Office did well last weekend, 226 in six theaters. That's a 37K per theater average. That's the second highest of the year, so it's that's playing well. Bad. Yeah. New York for and any, L.A. platform release, that's not bad. 1,200 theaters this weekend, guys. So that's 2 to 3 million in terms of projections. These... Uh, you know, these reception numbers, do they surprise you? Because, Colby, we have friends that we trust who love it, like you and Amanda. And then we had friends that we trust who hated it. Literally called it the worst film of the year. What do you make of that? I know you were kind of weighing in on those YouTube uh, videos with some comments back uh, back when uh, Eric and company with the Midnight Movie Talk. Shout out to them. We just had Eric on. But Eric and Chris despised it. How did this happen? And you know what, having a chance to meet both of those guys, I know that they mean well, but I can absolutely understand why this movie wasn't for them, right? A thousand percent. And 
honestly, I don't know if the if the demographic that this film is depicting, I don't even know if they're going to watch this movie. That's the thing that's really interesting because 20-somethings don't watch movies like how you and I do, of course, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't even know if they watch like how general audiences do because date night movie culture has shifted so much from the way that we grew up. In the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and early 2000s, you made your life Friday nights and Saturday nights hanging out at the mall, buying food, and going to the movies, right? Where mall culture is dead. So we shift the way that we view content into these bite-sized pieces and people will spend hours on TikTok and YouTube videos mm -hmm. instead of spending 90 minutes at a movie theater. Literally anything more than 90 minutes at a theater, they want to pluck their eyes out. This is so long. But they'll be in bed watching TikToks for five hours until the person's like, hey, why don't you stop? You're scrolling too <laughs> You know, it happens to me a lot, right? So I, I would love to see what the demographic um, breakdown is on what, especially with this, like, you know, this second week that it's now been out and it's opening up a bit wider, who's coming to watch it? How old are they? Because this is very demographic specific and it's a, it's a generation that is being seen more on the big screen, but it's also being digested by not that generation, and they've got a lot of uh, opinions about them. <laughs> I think it speaks well to the younger generation, too. I mean, like we were talking again in the pre-show, but, like, these are characters that are... It seemed like the previews and the trailers for this were going to treat these characters as, like, something to poke fun at Gen Z about, but these are characters yeah. that are treated with respect. They're all written very well, and they have depth, and they all have... Inter it's a true ensemble piece. It's mm -hmm. like an Agatha Christie-type homage <laughs> for the generation yeah. z you know for the zoom era so I, I think it's handled incredibly well and likes talking with amanda especially about it somebody who's far far younger than i ever think i ever was uh she's <laughs> she like appreciated it because she, her response literally was oh i liked it but i'm a gen z woman so what do you expect so it's like oh it seems like yeah. that generation is like very in tune with what was written on the page which again is even more fascinating considering the writing and directing team behind this yeah no, so, i mean it, it's 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 a it's a really interesting take, and um, it's always interesting the what A twenty four chooses to put their name behind. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, sure, because like when when you think A twenty four, what movie comes to mind to you? That's so a many. great question. <laughs> That's Moonlight, a really Lady Bird good question. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But just think out just what you just said, Moonlight, Lady Bird. Their the their tone seems very specific, but it's also very broad too, because I like. I don't think that you're getting the same audience watching Moonlight as you are watching Lady Bird. Right. Hereditary, never mind their horror stuff, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, A24, they have such a uh, such a hold on, like, that curated brand, right? Like, Neon's there as well, I would say, and... Uh, and, and, and especially with how they're, you know, branching out to Apple. I mean, that's a whole nother segment, like what they put on Apple and what winds up in the theaters. A24 has got a lot going on. But I would, I would uh, certainly wonder if you guys have a cool uncle, a cool aunt that you might I am recommend the cool uncle. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to this family. So I think I, I think it's going to be as digested as well by me as it would by anyone that I'm in a sphere with. So I don't know well, that that's going to fly very far. Colby was talking about how, you know, the director, Helena Rain, she's a little older than the screenwriter who's 32, Sarah DeLapp and uh, Kristen Rupenian. They're, they're younger. And obviously we have a Gen Z to millennial cast here. Mike, do you think that, you know, this can be a zillennial panic movie that older people in your sphere at all 
Like the you, you know, no, like I think no. of Generation X, <laughs> no, <laughs> and no. when I think I, of it, I, I think, think of X Pac and Triple H. Do you think X Pac and Triple H? What would they think of this? Walk around telling people to suck it. <laughs> so you're you're trying to say like, is there a common ground that like an older generation can find in this? And I think definitively, not only can an older generation probably not find common ground in this, I would say like. Probably half of America won't find this entertaining or use. I can't tell you the number of YouTube reviews that I was wa- looking at before in preparation for this episode, where it was pretty evenly split, and it was pretty evenly split by like you could tell. Uh, it doesn't seem like people actually talk like this. I don't think twenty-year-olds are actually this. They seem too cartoon. It's like I think mm-hmm. this is something that's for the coasts, man. And I think there's a, a tip of the hat for how bold something can be that it's written that way. But this seems to be something that I think. How do I say this without being political? (laughs) The more progressive leaning people in your life will probably find more entertainment value in this movie than otherwise. Period. That's that's fair. Colby, we have like feats of screenwriting strength, as I would put it, in here. However, there are like takedowns from the New York Times, the LA Times, and, and friends of the pod, friends of... Both our pods, Chris Gore and Eric Weber, etc. That, you know, again, people we trust, and yet I would, I would argue with them. I, you know, I, I you know, the call. Shout out to those guys. We respect them. Have them on the show all Absolutely. the time. I would argue with them from a screenwriting perspective that I think, you know, the plot and the characterization are in harmony. That we have congruency here, and that this is a juggling act, a balancing act from the three filmmakers involved. What do you think of the overall composition of this film? Do you have that level of respect for it, or am I just crazy here? No, you're not off at all. I think that there is so much synergy at work between the screenplay and what we final, like what we get as the final product of this film, right? Um, I think thematically it made a lot of sense. I mean, we're talking about friends. We're talking about duplicity. We're talking about the haves and the have-nots. This is a story about the elites of New York. A lot of people will be turned off just by mm-hmm. that. Good point. You know, and I think what the intrigue is, and this is where marketing can like either like hurt or help a product to try to like, you know, really sell who should come watch this movie because there is something very sexy about this marketing, right? Like it's stylized. It's kind of well, it's a dirty. Sexual movie. It, it, I it's, mean, it really, really is. Exactly. And this is not a typical slasher. Mm-hmm. I can't really call it a thriller this damn sure isn't a horror movie mm-hmm. it's kind of something that's really really different of its own um and i'm not gonna be lazy and say oh this is meta uh, that gets thrown around a lot you know mm-hmm. and i think that there is a commentary that's at work that does seem very much like real life because i think that these characters like you know my kobe rules of how i digest cinema do i believe in this world mm-hmm. hell yeah i do do i believe in these characters each and every single mm-hmm. one and there's intrigue behind all of them. This is a whodunit. But when you get to the end of the movie, you're just like, wow. Uh, <laughs> either it's going to work for you or it's not. So it's a really interesting whodunit. And, and yeah, we're dancing around the spoilers here. So we're going to have to get into spoilers soon enough. But I will say this. like Something you and I really admire, Michael, is that we get several incredible tell-off sequences, never mind scenes, where these characters 
tear each other apart with all their baggage from their previous relationship because this is a postgraduate type of after-school reunion of sorts. And then there's a long-standing genre of this from the big chill all the way through uh, what we have here. And I love it when you get these crescendos yep. in this film that are built off of these tell-off scenes. And obviously they're hitting beats of the genres that Colby mentioned. You got your slasher whodunit where it's, it's all adjacent. We'll get into it in, in spoilers. But other than maybe like a few lapses, I would say, in Act 2, like there's 15 minutes that annoy the hell out of me in this movie. But what did you think of the composition in that regard? You told me that before. So you've seen this twice. I only saw it the one time when you and I went uh, this afternoon. But I, I was trying to find the 15-minute stretch that I thought thought was not appealing i think i know what it is but it's not jumping out at me i mean take a shot every time i say degree of difficulty but i i respect the degree of difficulty this pulled off because it is an older generation writing about a younger generation with a director from another different generation and it's it's toned (laughs) well and it does hit all those genre points and i like you mike i love that kind of you know, what's the backdrop? Why is we know that there's tension between these characters, but we don't know what it is, but it's going to come out as the scene goes on or as the movie goes on. I love that. T- but it's not an easy thing to do. It's certainly not an easy thing to write and pull off. Well, I was entertained thoroughly for, but throughout the uh, duration of this for like the hour and 37 or whatever it was. Mm. I thought it was written extremely well, which I, I, I'm pretty high on this movie overall, which I was even kind of hoping not to be because I haven't been high on much lately, and this is a like, <laughs> horror-adjacent property, and everyone knows how much of a horror sycophant I am, so I was trying to dislike it, but I couldn't. So there, take that for everyone who says wow. I'm always negative. It beat down <laughs> all your barricades. It was go- I think there's a legitimate Oscars like performance in this, too, which I've put on Twitter already, and I'm sure I'm going to get mocked at, but like, I, I don't know. Has, has there been a better supporting actress that... like? There's five definite performances better than what Rachel Sennett did in this movie for supporting actress. You're going to make me pull up my doc here. She plays <laughs> that role so well. It's insane. And it's all it a is performance. A fun. Well, it's it's a performance that got on my nerves a little bit in a few scenes. And that's like and the 15 to. minutes. Yeah. That, I mean, it's supposed. It's written. It, it's you know, she's not. She's never going to get the recognition for it. So I don't like I'm not trying to start her campaign. But like. That that role is supposed to be, first of all, this movie is basically like the collection of every comic relief from every horror movie ever, but what if we put them all in a group? And they yeah. all play archetypes within that, but she's supposed to be like the super annoying, super woke, super giddy woo girl. Like, that's her role. That person gets on your nerves. Yeah, there's no likable characters in the entirety of this film. So fair, there's a very fair. short leash where like... Typically, where we have a protagonist, we want someone who's meek, and we think that we have that in Maria Bakalova's character. But, like, because of the intrigue of what's presented, you do not really know where she's coming from mm-hmm. and how she fits in all of this, and that's used against her. Yeah, where for sure. Everybody justifiably has a reason to be the killer. Yeah. So I have Stephanie Sue of Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'm she's fine my with number that. one. I'm fine with I that. still have Nicole Kidman from The Northman. She's very high on my list. If that's your number two, yeah. I'm not going to listen that Rachel Senna can't be in the conversation. <laughs> we we haven't gotten the films yet. I have. Uh, you I mean, know, Kiki the, Palmer it will likely be pushed. I'm yeah, fine I mean, with that. Likely, she's already being pushed. Mm-hmm. So she, she is in, in my lead actress category. But you're right. I, we are all rooting for her to be. Yeah, absolutely. She's she's. Uh, 
if she if she's in that category which might be category fraud which i don't have a problem with let's go otherwise i got like you know another category fraud lily collins you know kristen stewart elizabeth olsen what are we, what are we doing in supporting actress mike i don't know yet nicole well, bahari and, and that's Breaking. why i say like if the year ended today because i don't expect many if any of those names to be there at the end of the year because of what's no. coming up in q3 and q4 but like right now Michelle I mean, Williams if, is winning it. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but right, like as of today in mid-August when we're talking about this, I haven't seen five performances in the supporting actress category that are like, no, nah, I mean, there's, she can't be talked about. Rachel Sennett can't be talked about for this movie. Of course That's she true. can. Yeah. And she's got a fun performance where she's chewing on some scenery and she's got a lot of punchlines, which is which is cool. Same for Mr. Pete Davidson and the same for Lee Pace, who's really funny in this. I am more impressed, though, guys, with Amanda Stenberg and Maria Bakalova because I think they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of the uh, no drama. Gosh. And, you know, shout out to Chase Suey Waters, Wonders and Mahala Harold because Jordan and Emma, those two characters have a lot to them. And there's some great conflicts between those four characters, essentially, B, Sophie, Jordan, and Emma. And I just think, like, this movie is built upon and in a whodunit structure it's built upon these characters mixing it up and giving you those goods delivered especially with a reunion type scenario with all these interpersonal baggage uh, conflicts but also you have you have to give the audience a poker face if you're one of these actors so colby you've done some acting in your day mike and i have only dreamed about it and only you know just acted as if in our lives but well, do you <laughs> We had this podcast host most of the time. (laughs) How do you hide the ball when you're approaching uh, material like this? I mean, it's tough. I I remember, you know, transitioning from the stage to being on film where you are used to performances being linear, where you can be able to travel with your character through an organic progression of emotions because that's how stories play. Mm. Obviously, what is more practical to filmmaking is it's very location-based. The good thing here is that we're principally just in one house Mm -hmm. and they found like the perfect house. You know, they were talking about that, like how, you know, putting this all together was pretty great. Um, I will say this, like that structure, I didn't get a chance or I don't remember if it was asked to like how they chose to shoot this because it would lend to make the actor's jobs the easiest where if we only have one location to worry about, let's just go ahead and shoot this chronologically, right? So that way you can be able to yield the best result to where we bring these characters from to where they end by the end of the film. Um, Because it's tough. It is a lot to be able to mask the intentions of everyone when you kind of aren't supposed to know who's the killer, right? And then when you end up getting to the end of it, like, who's the killer? You're like... Oh, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but how do you hide this? Like, how do you not have like a, just a little, you know, snark and just this like little like giggle every time that somebody's going crazy and they're blaming somebody else? I'm like, and then you, and as an audience member, you're like, no, this person makes some good points. They're doing it in the most destructive way possible. Like, you are seeing these twenty somethings at their absolute worst. Mm. And I think when you take human beings and you put them in impossible situations, like surviving a hurricane, like that's the element that we can't like not remember there's an active hurricane that's going on the northeast that's not regular okay and they just decide to have a party because why not and then also at the same time they're having to really contend with some 
things that they've either been suppressing because of who they are and who they project themselves to be. And that's very much emblematic of what this generation chooses to do on a daily basis. So when you have this shaken up can of soda and it's finally getting room to pop, it's popping well here. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of when, what do you think of when you say a 24, you, I mean, you could argue that you think of a couple coming of age movies in like a really dark, twisted, cynical way. This is kind of a coming of age movie because it's focusing on how zoomers, deal with mature issues and super adult issues and what their mindset is going into those issues versus how the super, if you're woke all the time, you can't be. If you're going to run into a problem, which is, I think, yeah. another reason I think Rachel Sennott's character is genius because she's the one that smashes it smack dab uh, head on and she has to pass it off to Jordan in the middle of her trying to explain herself. But, like, there's that aspect to it, too. So these really are, like, layered issues with layered characters talking about them and discussing them and fighting for their lives, quite literally and figuratively. Yeah, and that's why it's so unfair. Like, I, 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 I do not mind, like, seeds of discontent being sowed against this film for not liking it. But any like just lazy, just like, you know, just like, you know, malevolency against this, I'm not with it. Like, I need you to tell me very specifically what didn't work for you because there's just too many things. And granted, yes, I had the rose colored goggles on being in the room with a lot of these stars at the premiere. But Mm. damn, this thing worked for me then. And it worked for me even more on the second watch. That's great to hear. And that's what I was worried about when I went into the film. Like, sometimes a satire can really punch me in the face. I mean, look, Mulholland Drive, for example. Like, that that's that's not a satire. That's just like a, a mind death. No, but look at When you watch it for the first time, it screws with you. I hated it. And, right. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It's a good point. You could totally have a journey with the same film upon multiple rewatches. And I tell you, I'm kind of doing that right now with everything everywhere all at once, where I loved it. Oh man, I recommended it to people and I rewatched it with them and they didn't like it. And you know what? Their dislike kind of wore off on me, but then I rewatched and I like I again, I liked it on the third time, so I'm in a weird spot with it. Okay, so we talk all the time about expectations during the day. Is it easier to stomach people not liking this type of movie and like being more resolute in how you feel about this type of movie versus than everything everywhere all at once because like you're going into the review of this or into talking to people about this being like, "Look, this isn't for everybody." Like, this maybe purposefully is written to not please some people. So, Mm. like, are you more concrete in how you feel about this type of movie versus, like, in Everything Everywhere All at Once, everybody fawns over it. Everyone says how great it is. So you have to say it's great. I mean, I thought it was great. I have not rewatched it since my first viewing. But I have recommended it to people, and people watched it. And like you, Mike, they were like, eh, that wasn't everything you thought it would be. I was like, oh, okay. I take more offense to that, but I feel like I'm more resolute and not changing my opinion on liking this movie than something like an everything everywhere all at once. So I think this movie we're like not going to recommend this movie to our Gen X friends. I will recommend this to everybody. <laughs> I <laughs> love this movie. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it because this movie was not a hard sit for me either time. I enjoyed it both times like you're saying Colby and I think it's because the production values are all really good. We we talked about the performances and the script. So as a film critic, we could we can really you know wave the foam finger in the air for those areas. And the and moving on to the production values here for a minute, I love the music. I love the cinematography. Some editing problems towards the end, perhaps. Otherwise, like costumes. I mean, the horror goods are here to an extent. The comedy goods are here based on the filmmaking. That part, I'm not going to say it was, I think one, I'm watching it on an old screen at the Paramount, 
right? Mm. Um, watching, I definitely can see the difference because there was a, I was like, hmm, there's a graininess to this film that feels like low production value, right? But I feel like that was also an aesthetic uh, that mm. the director was going for, right? And recognizing that this is also like, I've lived and ha- I, like, I've got my white friends up in New York. Like I went, I went to school in Central New York. I went to Ithaca College. So like, I've seen these homes. <laughs> I know what they feel like. They are very old and snooty. And you know, <laughs> these rooms are just dark. They don't get a lot of light. So like, I was like, man, why is this place so dark and things of that nature? But like, I think that also, I, not as much did the house become a character unto itself because it is a very confined space. Um, but there was something about the way that this film was lit that was having a hard time understanding the geography of all of our characters. And it did at times, while I didn't have it as a detraction, I was like, why is everybody so disconnected? Because it's all, it's allowing a lot of the mystery to unfold and what placates a lot of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the psychosis that everybody's in when they don't know who's who and <laughs> the where's folly the do, if yes. you will. <laughs> you know, so I think that did lend itself. Uh, I, I think it was a bit, you know, um, artificially generated with the narrative, but it was okay. Yeah, I gave up on worrying about like I, I, I'm with you because I couldn't, I didn't know where anyone was at either any time anyway. But I, I mean, this, never this house do. has an indoor gym in it, right? Like, right. so if it has an indoor gym, we're talking about like thirteen to fourteen thousand square feet. Like, like once, it, once it was revealed that like Kubrick purposely fucked with you with from The Shining, I was like, all right, I'm done I'm trying to worry about where houses are and mansions are laid out. Just tell me later. Yeah. So I, you're right. Like I, I had no idea where anyone was, but I never do anyway. So I yeah. didn't really pay that any much mind. But I get what you're saying. If you pay attention to that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it, there is a lot of as much as this movie does play, take place in one house, you're in, you're all over the house, you're everywhere in the house, and it's tough to keep up with. But I tell you guys, I think I was, I was ready to laugh at all these characters, like going into the movie, and especially the way they introduce some of them. Like, all right, I'm gonna hate this person, or I'm gonna hate. By the end of the film, I'm relating to everybody, and I don't that I don't know if that's scary, like you said, because I visited my friend at Cornell Zoomers and I saw the more gorge, like us gorge. than we want to think, huh? <laughs> like Colby, you're saying, like I, I, you know, I was able to rub shoulders with the elite of the elite at certain times of my life, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't like the one percent to a degree, <laughs> but I, I love people who I know are rich still because they're family and friends. My God, it's bringing up all past experiences in my life that I'm going to mention in spoilers in terms of the, you know, reunion of friends who have reached various levels in their lives. So I, I tell you what, this movie hit notes with me, chords with me. And then on a filmmaking front, I thought it was really sound guys. Uh, this is a watch for us. Yeah. Murder seems to be the great equalizer amongst classes and uh, generations. <laughs> yes, definitely a watch. Definitely a watch. All right, let's get into spoilers. <clears throat> oh, there's that. <laughs> I might just use that for this episode instead of putting in mine. I've cut it because since we stopped calling it Oscar Sprint, I say that at the end of the fucking song, so that's why I haven't used the song lately. You got to re-record a new I got, spoiler. I might have to do. Well, it has been a couple. You got to recompose. So well, yeah. yeah. Play DJ again. You it, uh, look. I would. The most impressed I've ever been with you <laughs> is when you sent me the MP3 of the spoilers interlude. Yeah. Because, A, I laughed my ass off because mm-hmm. it for. was just ridiculous. And then, B, I just thought musically it was pretty solid. I thought it was so, good. Uh, you could have played in this movie. You could have been one of the songs in the soundtrack of this movie because all, all Gen Z music is is just one, one phrase said over and over again, apparently. 
you could probably could just leave that. Just let it play for the spoiler warning. <laughs> spoilers, spoilers are happening now, folks. Probably, probably what we'll do. All right, this is the spoiler section uh, of the movie Bodies, 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 brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Mac here with our good friend Colby Mac joining us for a review. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause on us. Go check out to your local theater and check out the movie. We'll be here waiting for you to come back and hit play. If you've seen the movie already or you're just curious to hear our thoughts, this is where you want to be. All spoilers from this point out. Everything about the movie Bodies, 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 brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Mac. Michael, where are we starting? Well, I think we got to start at the ending because when Pete Davidson gets up on that phone screen, I, for whatever reason, I forgot to remember that this, I kind of had suspicions during the Lee Pace scene that this was just going to be a bunch of Murphy's Law accidents and that nobody was going to be the killer and they're all just a bunch of idiots. And I forgot that and I just had, I laughed my ass off. Guys, I worried about being the old guy in the theater of 20 high school kids and that's what I was. Mm-hmm. I was worried going in. I was like, am I just going to pander to the younger generation because I wanted to like this. I didn't want to be a boomer. I, t- I told you. We uh, could all in be the friends messages. after this, right? I, I, I messaged Colby. He was like, I hope I'm not a boomer here. Am I, gonna, <laughs> am I not going to like this? I was afraid you Chris and Eric. I was not going to like this but I, I genuinely enjoyed it and then I'm laughing like the good stuff, the belly laughs. When he picks up that stupid sword at the end, Colby, what did you what did you think? You were laughing, right? Oh my god, my ass off! I think I was sitting next to Ryan McQuaid from In Session Film. I think I was also um, sitting next. Who else was I sitting next to? My goodness gracious! Like I had my little crew, right? Uh, like Cat, yeah, Cat Gonzalez from Latinx Lens, and it was just it was, it was a great time, right? And we just all like just bowled over, just like there's no way, because like okay. After the end of the first act, who did you think was the killer? Well, I'm, Mike, I'm you too, thought yeah, I'm too cynical. I've seen way too many horror movies because mm-hmm. it's like before the halfway point when nobody brought up, are we sure he didn't kill himself? I was like, oh, Pete Davidson killed himself. There's no killer. <laughs> so, yeah. like, I knew that for the majority of the movie, but I'm you wondering did. if that was telegraphed well or if i've just seen too many movies or like when you were in that that stu- that that theater colby did the majority of people were they surprised by that twist ending oh absolutely yeah, they, they uh, very much were surprised because i think that like there was something that was super sketchy about maria bakalova's character mm-hmm. right um and then the one guy who was who like never showed up so he was just this like looming right. specter mm-hmm. so it's like oh Maybe this person has something to do with it, and there's so much jealousy at play. Because like we can all agree, while everybody's unlikable, Jordan is the fucking worst. <laughs> I, I liked her, man. I oh thought she. God, no, I mean, this... to start, to start, I liked her, but she clearly had mental issues that, that are oh, revealed. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and, and that's the thing. It's like this. What this this process, right? This game pulls the absolute worst out of you. Yes. Why that anybody would ever play this thing? It, like they say it even before you, like, they this, go into it with that. The yeah. worst. Everybody always ends up crying, but it's like cool. Like, like this generation is like so attracted to pain. I don't, <laughs> I, it's just it's a weird thing. I loathe pain and discomfort. I would never play this game, but I played some. Like I grew up in like the CKY days, yeah. so like yep. <laughs> pre Jackass days. So uh, I played some really crazy things I'd never in my life. There is something to the fact that like we laughed at physical pain, our generation and this generation Mm -hmm. seems to not care about like words. They're saying (laughs) like the harshest shit to each other and they're literally just walking it off as friends. Now, of course the backdrop to that is that, well, maybe one of them is the killer and they'll get the revenge for that later by taking somebody's life. But that turns out to never be true anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, but it's interesting because they all increasingly become desensitized to the violence that they are like inflicting on one another, you know, emotionally, mentally, and then of course physically. So that's the big thing with this genre, even though it's not necessarily a slasher movie. It's probably more of the who done it and that nobody did it. He was just the dope, and we have. But here's the thing: like they create and they contrive. I mean, there's clearly when you go into for a movie of a who done it genre, you're going into a contrived situation because how rare is a who done it in real life? I mean, obviously it happens with like serial killers once in a blue moon, but it's not like this regular occurrence in anybody. Buddy's real life as an audience member, right? So when you go to an Ag- Agatha Christie story to, you know, uh, whatever we get in Scream and a slasher whodunit, you're going into this and saying, manipulate me and and show me a show me a, a story that's ridiculous and, t- and give me this murder spree as a morality tale history that happened in the 80s and 90s, right? With all these slasher movies and update it to just give me something fun like a scream uh but this is obviously not scream so here i am coming out of this one guys and i'm just saying like yeah i mean it got me but the situational comedy is funny enough and the anxiety drama is so funny well made enough that those goods are delivered for me and it heightens to a point this is why i think the writing is so well done like you could tune this out three quarters of the way in as just being like too funny for actual death. But like they get to a point where the murder actually matters and is like being taken seriously as a murder. And they're still like their wokeness and having their conversations about your, your silencing me and like doing all these trigger words and stuff and making the point that they're making about uh, both woke culture, youth culture, and how all of us that are older need to partake in that more, which I think was, was well done. But like, this turns into an actual, not horror movie, but at least a drama, drama. Yeah. at some point, which I it, it, that's tough to do, especially with how funny Pete Davidson, when Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is suggested <laughs> to be played, and you can just hear Pete Davidson off camera go, God damn it, I fucking lost it. That was so funny. Like, there's little shit like that that just keeps you laughing throughout the entire movie. And because we've all been young, we've all played these group games, mm-hmm. just like, oh, my God, this is either going <laughs> to be a great time and a fucking riot or this is going to, like, devolve into chaos. And that's what happens. I mean, the the death that precipitates the chaos here is, mm-hmm. like, the least important but also the most important. And the payoff is so oddly satisfying to me because in traditional whodunits i want to like like go ahead like how does what is a, um oh my gosh daniel craig's character in knives out it's like you want to go down this winding road and peeling back all the layers and then you want it to all make sense like you know like one of my favorite whodunits is saw and then like there's yeah. nothing more satisfying when that song it's like i almost kind of want that because you want that build up to see what were the clues that i missed what were Mm -hmm. the tells and things of that nature and you don't get that because you recognize it was just this dummy (laughs) playing around (laughs) with this sword and we saw the sword at the beginning right and check off sword it comes Mm -hmm. back and it's like holy crap it makes the most amount of sense so i don't know how that can't be satisfying and i think it is that increasingly symbolic of like this particular generation the way that they amplify everything right it's like there's this unexplained death and yes there's a hurricane going wrong but like let's do whatever we can not to get help we're automatically gonna think that there's a killer in the house yeah yeah that, that, well that is that is kind of the conceit you have to go with to get any entertainment i think out of this is that yes. like you have to be willing to say these people are so 
and that's why I knew it was Pete Davidson ended up killing himself because like mm-hmm. you have to talk yourself up to that point at some point. And yeah. by talking yourself up to that point, it's going to be suggested, Hey, are we sure he didn't just kill himself? Cause we all know each other except for that one old man, but like he's dead now anyway. So fuck and, like that's too, and that's too easy, you know? Right. Oh my God. But that right. scene was so damn funny. It I was, mean, it was good. The physical was comedy in that scene is just hilarious. Mm. It, it's great. And there's checkoffs, everything. And like, I, you knew when the window was talked about, how the car window only went down part way. That was yep. going to come back to be played. You knew Maria Bakalova going back into the car to get the zucchini bread with leaving the, the fucking lights the out of the side of the... Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah. Every, there's, there's, there's all kind And they all paid off. It's just so neatly done in this like hour and 30-something minute script. Well, from the screenwriting perspective, most of, if not all, and I, I'm sure we could pull back threads... Uh, on callbacks to all the exposition, to most of the exposition, because they have to give you seeds of everybody's backstory. And then when you have the big tell-off of one character that's about to be eliminated from this game of death by accident, it's built up to in this huge, like, you know, uh, Francis McDormand from Three Billboards type, you know, against the priest scene, and they just eviscerate the other person. This I remember having, obviously without the drugs and the murder, but I remember having these, you know, kind of a you know near my school days reunions, and unfortunately people would have too much to drink, and we would get in each other's faces because we're at this awkward stage in life where we're between, you know studenthood and adulthood and we just got under each other's skin because we we have all these anxieties about the next step or whatever and here we are just at each other's throats six months removed from graduation i don't know if you guys experience anything similar but that definitely happened to me and of that's course. what this movie's about of course I, I think that's a universal feeling that goes back to the relatability of this and i mean like Find me another review that's going to bring up Little Women, but like it's the same thing we go back and talked about in our review of Little Women. Like, I'm impressed that the relatability of this is as high. The same way I was impressed that something like Little Women could be made so relatable, like Greta Gerwig. Like that, that gets points for me, you know. And again, if you don't like it, I really like what Colby said in the notes. But like, if you don't like it, that's fine. But give me a reason you don't like it. Don't just say that these characters don't exist because we could tell you as people that live on the one of the coasts, they absolutely do. It's not yeah. that far off from reality in any level, whether you want to talk about the classism, whether you want to talk about the, the, the sexism, whether you want to talk about how these people talk, this generation, how they're blunt. My God, can we all learn something from that generation about how blunt they are and wear their yeah. emotions on their sleeve and are able to talk about, you know, this is bothering me, don't do this. Like, this is real. This is a slice of life that actually exists out there, which I appreciate it. And that's a credit that I give to this generation. Like, they're at a point where they're so in tune with their emotions. Mm-hmm. They're not going to bottle it up for anybody, mm-hmm. anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like, me, I'm in this kind of, like, I feel like I am more of a zenial than a millennial. But, like, obviously, I think, like, which it changes. I've seen every deviation of, like, what yeah, is Yeah, I don't think anyone knows what the definition is. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You know, I was born in 86. So I'm an 80s baby and a 90s kid. But I remember a world without technology vividly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also remember a generation telling me, keep everything bottled up. You're a man. Don't talk about right. your feelings. You know, if you have an issue with your friends, you suppress it and then let that shit blow up. And you could do drink about it later, right? right. Um, we're like literally a part of the fabric of our culture. We've adopted happy hour because in order to get before we get from <laughs> the end of work to home, we must drink ourselves to some like 
satisfied yep. stupor. But these, I feel old saying these kids, they're like, no, cut the bullshit. This is what you're doing to me. And is it absolutely hyperbolic? And it's kind of also toxic. Gosh, we throw those buzzwords around so much. And they, they just play out throughout the trailer, mm -hmm. which is so brilliant. But it's true to life. Yes, not everybody's going to be able to see what life is like on the West Coast or the East Coast. But obviously, you know, the three of us, we grew up around the, mm -hmm. around the East Coast. And this is very much real. You know, I know also, Mike, you work with kids. You hear this thing every day. And it's got to be just like, oh, Lord, it's them. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I have uh, I have high school kids in my life just about every day, even when I don't want them to be in the off season and whatnot. But I, I tell you what, if you if you say something like in their vernacular once, like I said dead ass to them one time. <laughs> And I thought I was being cool. I thought it, I thought they would just let it go. And I don't know why I said it. It just like came out because I hear them say it all the time. Remember that phase when they were saying it? It only lasted like a month. It was like the bing bong thing in New York. It lasted like a month and then poof, it was gone. And I think I said it in month two. They laughed so hard at me for weeks on end. And that's when I was like afraid. I was afraid of be going into this movie and coming out being that guy. And unfortunately, I think I, that's a real like I, I'm not kidding. I think that's a legitimate fear that like some reviewers may have. It's like yeah. they're they're so out of touch with that generation. They're like there's a lot of people that are at least two generations removed from Gen Z right, right now that they're it's so foreign to them that they don't understand, which is fine. I mean, if that's your excuse for not liking it, Lord knows there's the, the fucking nope. I was going like I didn't understand the meaning behind nope. But again, mm -hmm. I go back to just say you don't understand it, man. There's no shame we're, in that. We're all going to get there someday. Yeah, of course. I guess <laughs> with a young young person movie and or Canadian comedy. So many critics, I think, are so fearful of like not being right. But like these opinions can change. Like sure. I remember the first time that I watched Nope and I was like, I don't know if this was it, Jordan. Yeah. But then the more that I peeled, don't God, Back the nailed it beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> like I was just like this movie just made so much more and more and more sense. Some mm -hmm. movies will do that off the first try. Some it'll take two or three. And I don't think that there's any like one way is more right than another. This no, I agree. just worked on me because like ultimately I believe their conflicts like that that felt really weird, really real. And then like you know for, for this particular genre. I know that the solution must be I need to find out who the killer is and, yo, was I changed by the end of this movie? I think thematically there's nothing like that's super like pointed that's like, yo, this just changed the way that I looked at friendships. Even though it, you should kind of like, you know, look at – I don't allow my friendships to get to this place, you know? Um, but I hope that, you know, the demographic that this movie's depicting, when they watch this, they can kind of see like, yo, maybe we have to like try to contend with the shit that we keep to ourselves, right? Um, and I think that I think also this also a good point of things that should be kept to ourselves. It also should be worked out through therapy. <laughs> Very true. I mean, I hope what people get from this, if they do give it a chance, is to at least say maybe Gen Z isn't out of as out of touch as a lot of critics and cynics give them credit for being like they, this. Right. These are people that are able to talk about being woke and having their emotion, but they're able to actually be human beings. Like they're real, really intelligent. They're really wise. They're better than us at a lot of things, man. I mean, I know experience with experience comes wisdom, whatever that saying is. And we have that on them, but like they could certainly show us a thing or two. I, I, I know emotionally I'm far removed and far behind what any Gen Z is right now. 
Well, I tell you what, I think there are a lot of threads or fuses that might lead to some, you know, dynamite uh, in terms of the thematics. But I don't I don't sense like a Jordan Peele level of symbolism or allegory or anything like that. If you no, guys and that's why there's not this. That's why there's not going to be Oscars buzz. Like this right. is a very well done screenplay and script and it's acted very well and it's directed very well, but it's not. Awards but we don't need we don't need each one of these characters in an allegorical sense to represent a faction of the Democratic Party or whatever or the coastal elites at the no, end of the day. No, but it would make me feel better if they did. So if they could do that next time for the sequel. <laughs> next time. Uh, the, uh, the filmmakers will do that. Lee but, Pace I mean, is Biden. Yeah. You know, TikTok takes a hit. Well, Lee Pace is a perfect example. Like, he's the one Gen Xer in this one, right? That's great. And he's totally... He, he can't figure these kids out at all, and he thinks they're effing with him, and he thinks that it, it, to the point of death, he misunderstands them. It's beautiful, and it's so needed. It's so badly needed. Like, there's so many little parts that just keep this movie rolling along. And again, like, I don't think I don't think that the uh, the Senate character, like, she carries scenes. I don't think she is, like, the start and the end all of any one scene, but she definitely moves the scene along, and there's so many bit parts that do that, that that's why I give her credit, because I think she does that most, but there's no... What was the 15 minutes, Mike? Because I don't think there's any downtime well, in this movie. Well, how about this? How about we rate the conflicts, right? The, between characters, the inter-character conflicts. How about that? Because the Lee, Lee Pace standoff was really funny to me. I had the... I had the Pete Davidson death, obviously, reveal was funny, but like the bodies, bodies, bodies parlor game keeps playing out, right? You have the Emma and Jordan death scenes that were both kind of horrifying, I would say, and Emma and Jordan, be, uh, Jordan being the uh, Pete Davidson's girlfriend and then Jordan being the love interest with baggage to the Amanda Stenberg character. And then, of course, the Rachel Sennett death scene, which was kind of funny at first and then really horrifying uh, in the middle and then kind of excruciating and aggravating because you knew it was happening. The denial by Jordan. I didn't shoot you. I didn't do that. Like, my God, I wonder where she learned that from. <laughs> so do you guys, did you have a favorite amongst those scenes or do you, do you have one that you hate? Because to, I'll be honest, the 15 minutes to me was when the gun got involved. When the gun got involved, really? I'm, a, I'm like, this is preposterous that she's walking her up the stairs. That's not at all what I thought. And because it was just one note, it's like, D don't stop walking. Just stop it. Stop it for like five minutes. And I was like nails on a chalkboard for me. That was the one part where I was like, you've you spent so much time and effort writing in these tell off scenes and, 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 and weaponizing all the baggage and the exposition. And then the two of them, obviously, they had these these you know long time feelings for one another which they get the tell-off scene at the bottom of the stairs and then you just spend all that time just at gunpoint just walking each other up that was like the most awkward tense moment for me but i, I mean i guess it still works because you know it, the crescendo of it was was terrifying and and you feel you feel for the two i kind of just chalked it up that these are not professional merchants of death so no one was like, you know, like really annoying. Fair what assessment, I think. That felt very real to me. Um, it just also just like I've argued with a woman. And, <laughs> and um, it could just be like, what? 
this is pure nonsense. Like your <laughs> your your rationalizations. This is like how where you we put in the disclaimer actions. that we realize we're three men talking about this too. By the <laughs> right, way, we should right. have that out there. <laughs> oh, please bring it. But like, hey, I mean, I as a recently divorced man, I've been through like all of these different types, and I. But we would have died first in this movie. No, not right. oh, yeah. immediately. Right. Like, I mean, and, and think about it. Like, the men did go first. <laughs> like, That's a great point. Because. We know for a fact that if they like if they would have stayed around, the dynamic of the conflict would have changed drastically mm-hmm. because of that power struggle, right? The it brings these women, which is archetypically, they're all the same. So there's no like the, the way that they're jockeying for power is very different than if Lee Pace's character stayed in this film. I am that's a great point, and I am <laughs> I'm glad he's dead. Now, I am glad that <laughs> <laughs> I am it, it was very unique that this turned into watching these young women turn on each other. So, but that also is my biggest gripe with the story too, in that, I mean, it's, it's, I feel like it's a nitpick, but it's still right before the gun is introduced. Okay. You're talking yourselves into Maria Bakalova is going to be the killer, right? That's what these four women are doing now. You're talking yourself into, she's the killer. So you're going to have her be excised to the outside where you have no eyes on her and can't keep watch. And she can sneak up behind you now. And that on top of, what did her going to the car do? Was that necessary? Yeah, I, I don't. It's almost like as if like they were on a ship and like you had to walk the plank. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, that that makes sense as an allegory, but I can't figure out. Like she well, got torpedoes in her. Based on like my experience with the genre, and I don't want to spoil other movies in it, but we are in her POV, Maria Bakalova's character, right? It's not. I get. We have to get outside to see someone with a gun. So typically, but typically, like the last person, the last twist you can give in one of these movies, and it's happened, especially horror adjacent, especially the French when the the French tackle this genre. Always taking the, shots at the French, man. But the horror <laughs> slashers from France, again, I'm, I don't want to spoil those movies, but when they do happen, it's typically the POV character that in that last standoff, which we had, Maria Bakalova finally gets the gun and points it at Amanda Stenberg's character. So that's why, like you said, Mike, when we walked out of there, even though you knew after the Lee Pei scene, you, you didn't know 100%. Right. Right, and that's why we still had the glimmer of possibility that it I mean, could have been me. Or, I'm Maria. a student of pro wrestling. You never, I didn't know Cody Rhodes was debuting at WrestleMania until he debuted at WrestleMania. Even though the entire road up to WrestleMania, I knew Cody Rhodes was debuting. You know, you never know until you see it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, they, they did a good job of keeping you guessing. But I, I, I don't know, Col- Colby. What were your, what was your biggest like drawback story wise? Worst scene, Colby. Man, I mean, honestly, I. I nothing felt like a drawback because of course interpreting the film like at the premiere like everything was just good like when we get to like rate this film like this just like there really wasn't much for me that like didn't work like i just found the world believable to what they were presenting to me Mm. by interacting with one another so there wasn't i mean the hardest parts that make thrillers and slashers that take place in like the 2020s is how much technology influences our logic and that's what's the beauty of the 70s and 80s and 90s this, yeah. because technology made everyone so dumb. It returned them back to just these <laughs> like primitive means of having to deal with tension where technology just dissipates all of that, right? Like everybody had phones that had some modicum of power, but it's like we have to find these convenient ways plot-wise to where we couldn't be too dependent upon it, right? We're like if I'm in a dark house, I'm going to see a flashlight from a camera like – 25 feet away 
Mm-hmm. You're not creeping mm-hmm. up on me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, Kobe's like, I ain't dying. <laughs> I'm not dying. You know? I'm the black guy. I know how this could happen. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, though. I'll tell you this. I feel like the, the spell that these writers cast over us is that they do make us care for these characters by the end of yes. it. And I think... Maybe the older generation will write them off or not understand them, and therefore you kind of don't engage with them in the middle. Then you're left with what? You're just left with the plot goodies. And the plot is kind of a deconstruct. It's a misdirect. So if the misdirect doesn't work and you're not laughing at that, you're just aggravated that you thought you were getting a slasher whodunit, and it's you know it, it's a wah-wah-wah finish for, for those viewers. For me... I'm engaged in these characters at that point, and I care about the relationship between Amanda and Maria at that point. I forget their characters' names, uh, excuse me. But I do care about these characters because of how well these scenes are written. And it's wild, like, watching it twice, I'm even drawn more into their backstories and and into the drama, I guess, which, of course, is the undoing of them all to begin with. I do wonder... If there was a message, there has to be. I just don't know what it is about everything returned to normal. Like, they were able to regain their sanity once the power came back. And they had their phones at the very end. And Maria Bakalova's last (laughs) word is like, we've got service. Like, then they really, like, it seemed like it sunk in on their characters just how horrific that night was and the awful shit that they all did. You remember, Mike, when we had the hurricane and the power finally came. I mean, how many... I mean. That was like two years ago. That was like the last time we had like a two-week hiatus, yeah. right? And I mean, I was, we've had a couple. I was of... in a murderous rage pretty quickly, so I yeah, I take that back. I understand. No, good call by them. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's almost as if they woke up from this bad dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I can honestly see them pretending like none of it happened. <laughs> I was thinking that's what the direction they were going to go at the end. Be like, we have to like come up with a story. Because it's like, like, you know, I know what you did last summer. Like, right. we can't. Except like, we did it. We're, we're taking this to our grave. <laughs> right. Like, because, I mean, to reflect on when they find out what happens, it's like, this is the dumbest thing that anyone could do. <laughs> like, how do we go zero to 100 like this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it, inexplicable. It, it, and I am glad, too. Like, there was a moment at the end when she goes back up to Pete Davidson's body with his phone in her hand, where I was like, if he has been faking it the whole time, because I thought they were like setting the stage by the way that uh, Mm -hmm. the boyfriend, Greg was acting dead during the bodies, bodies, bodies game. And Pete Davidson hits his nuts and he comes back to life when they all thought he was dead at the first. I thought Maria Bakalova was going to hit his nuts and Pete Davidson's going to be like, ah, did I get you? I was going to be furious if that was the reveal. (laughs) Like he has to be dead. He couldn't have laid during a fucking hurricane the entire time laying still like that. Well, that was another thing. Like, I thought the move, like, this could just be a bad movie by the end of it. So, yes. because yes. people didn't like it. So, I was like, wait a minute. I, I still got to keep that's, I had the, the possibility thought, in my head. Maybe this movie is just, you know, terrible. The ending is so bad. The twist that's why that I was offensive. so delighted. Yeah, I was so delighted when Pete Davidson picked up the friggin' sword and he was just a goofy idiot. And then, yeah, I mean, you ha- the one of the biggest laughs of the movie for me is when the neighbor just comes over and he goes, what happened? Like yeah. you said. <laughs> I'm laughing like a dope. I, I mean, I guess to, to give more you know credence to people who didn't like it, I've seen that too. People didn't like the twist. They didn't yeah. like, you know, they didn't like the no killer reveal. They didn't like that Pete Davidson killed himself all the time. They, they didn't. So that's fine. 
I mean, if it wasn't for your cup of tea, I am glad though to, to parrot kind of what you just said, Mike, that at least the twist was something that was innovative enough to fool a lot of people, which I don't think horror. I mean, mm-hmm. horror, I say this all the time lately about horror. It seems like to get a horror movie made, all you need is a cool premise. And the problem mm-hmm. with like 95% of the cool premises is that they don't know how to end it. They don't know how to yeah. land. So that's been a huge problem in horror lately. This one landed, I thought at least was like a C plus landing B minus. Oh. So I'm good with it. Yeah. This, it, this movie impossibly worked for me. Like I said, I there totally, I can get what can turn people off. And I think it's for the same reason why a lot of folks were turned off by, by uncut gems, but uncut gems was firmly in like my top 10 that the year of they came out. These are characters that a lot of people do not get to see. They'll never it interact with in real life. Yep. Exactly. So it is hard for some audiences, which is weird because it, I don't get why these characters, like in Bodies, 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 in Uncut Gems that you don't get a chance to interact with, why are they so detestable? Yet in a Wes Anderson film, these cartoon characters, we just completely just accept them and they're buffoonery and they're just <laughs> outlandishless. Like it's, it's just, it, it, it's weird why one works versus the other. And well, there's people t- that go into a film that has um, uh, this guy, well, I'm forgetting his name, Pete Davidson, mm-hmm. and just no matter what, they're not going to like him, what he does, or like what he contributes to the narrative of the film. I just thought the casting was fascinating from the jump because you have all these it people, right? You have the most beautiful cast, and then you have yeah, and then I don't I don't mean to throw shade at Pete Davidson because he's obviously he's a sex sex symbol out there, but and then you have Pete Davidson who's loved and hated by so many out there, but you have these people that in a genre where character assassination is a convention. Because they are walking the plank, like you said, Colby. These characters you know are lambs to the slaughter in a slasher movie. And therefore, you can't have them all be Pixar characters that are a height of relatability and likability. So that's why I was a little concerned. I, I didn't understand like how, okay, abrasive characters in a slasher whodunit. But that's par for the course for for a lot of people so maybe they just don't like slasher whodunits and i can understand that i guess i don't know i mean because you know and we love eric but one of his favorite movies of the year which also premiered at south by southwest (laughs) was ty west's x and he loves that movie and it's doing like one's a very conventional slasher paying homage to a genre and a time period that was very much celebrated so think about how eric and like gen xers grew up we're yeah. like that's what the you know that's what they looked up to, you know, and those characters are so much more lovable and likable, you know, than than what we get here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been able to kind of compartmentalize, and they both work, respective of like what they're trying to do and what they're going for, you know. Think- but like I couldn't stand the ending really in X. But I loved it here in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It's going to be polarizing too when the movie's this unapologetic. Like, oh, yeah. speaking about the deviousness of expectation, I mean, Maria Bakalova, congratulations on your Oscar nom. We're going to start this movie with you in a lesbian makeout scene while Charlie XCX is bumping behind. Like, you know, like, it's, it is, <laughs> this movie is what it is to itself, and it doesn't really yeah. care whether you, I, I got that impression. You like it, don't like it, but it's going to give you the movie that it set out to give you, which, again, I respect. So a lot of respect coming from here. I, I guess I'll just add this as a final like worst to kind of 
because I got to ground myself. I take points off for a couple seams being a little clunky, clunky for me. And I think like the conventions at times they lean into them. And like when I watch it the first time, like the bodies, bodies, got bodies game happens and they have to scatter, right? That's the, that's the part of the game. They scatter in the dark and they crawl around and they're supposed to, you know, somebody's supposed to tap them on the back and murder them, you know, fake murder them, right? The reasons for the girls to keep scattering are decreasingly plausible in one scene to the next. Like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. I also got to go to the bathroom <laughs> is one point. And, you know, so like that can grate on you, I guess in a way but th- this genre is f- mike we've studied it and for several series rewatches they get away with the dumbest shit and the the worst shit from especially the 80s and 90s cold colby on a race relations level for christ's sake you know with <laughs> with white people just reigning as final pe- final girls boys whatever so yeah, I think the genre is a bit flawed in its inception to to a degree, and that still bothers me. Like like we said with the Northmen, Mike. I mean, these story conventions didn't work in Viking telling times. They don't work now. So the slasher genre could piss me off. I guess is what I'm trying to say. You're gonna take points off because Maria Bakalova followed a character to the bathroom, and and she took forever to change her shirt and she and put makeup on. It was. I mean, it's it's at least explained. On. But they but they call her out for it, which is funny. That's the and they, yes, that's what I was yes. going to say next. Well, it's a thing. <laughs> it's to I make you point. not be sure about her. You're spending exactly. the entirety of the movie in her POV, and yet you're not entirely sure that she's not the killer. Well, that's what I'm saying. All the French slasher whodunits that I've seen, <laughs> two, they've made me think that maybe the POV character is going to be the killer. So yeah, that's I, I, ultimately it works for me. So my grade's gonna be strong, guys. And you know we do a letter grade here at MMO. Obviously, Colby, you got your own system that you uh, you you know you you put out there on Colby told me uh, and uh, at Colby told me rather on Twitter for sure and on Insta. I have a B eighty six. What do you guys have, Colby? We'll start with you. Yeah, A minus ninety one. Love it, love it, uh, Michael. I was oscillating between calling this an A minus nine. I landed on a B plus. I'll give it an eighty eight. Probably closer to an eighty nine. And if I watch this again and have just as much enjoyment of it, it'll be an eighty nine. Uh, and it could sniff that A minus territory definitely. I, this is nice. I don't think this will have any awards legs, but I'm just most satisfied. I think by this movie this year so far. Which I again I regret because it is a horror adjacent movie. So I was I wish it wasn't that wasn't true, but it is what it is. I had no idea what you you were gonna think of it, Mike. I was re- I was relieved. I wanted to do something here. fun with like, Colby. God, he's, gonna, he's gonna shit all over this. <laughs> Colby, I I mean, we recruited you because like, all right, the last time we did a movie, we were kind of bummed out about it. I I think it was Tom Hanks, whatever. You know, it was, it was okay. And I was like, all right, let's do a movie Colby likes. And I was terrified after Eric and Chris's reviews. Like, what if I hate it? Oh no! And uh, no, I, Mike, I had no idea because sometimes. Like if you guess a movie, but sometimes if you you know you eat a bad bowl of cereal, you you hate him. No, I'm I'm kidding with you. Obviously, live in a house where there's a billion people walking around, so I have no sanity at any moment. Yeah, yeah. This so, is a no, shocking like a positive it. review as you're ever going to get, considering the context and circumstances of what's going on in this house right now that I'm I am currently living in. Unbelievable. Well, that is a hell of an episode, Colby. Thank you for joining us, my friend. Yes, man. Let's definitely get back, uh, get you back sooner than than 
we did the, this last time. I know, like I said, we flirted with a bunch of ideas. So uh, we, we got to get you back uh, this fall, this winter at the very latest. So please tell our audience what you got coming up on Re- Minorities Report Film at Colby Tolby. Uh, to- excuse me, Colby told me. And, uh, you know, you're doing great things on all platforms uh, and certainly on social media there. Yeah, the brand is strong. Nah, I'm loving it. I think I thank you guys very much. It's, it's so crazy. I was going back like just through my Twitter history, and like you guys were like the first ten uh, movie podcasts that I follow when like I joined uh, Twitter. Um, so it's great that we've been you know we've been colleagues, we've been friends all this time, and um, anytime that I am invited back, um, I will gleefully and happily uh, join on. But yeah, uh, you guys can follow your boy. I'm at Colby Told Me. That's K-O-L-B-Y-T-O-L-D me on Twitter and IG. Um, If you want to check out a full written review that I have for this film from my South by Southwest coverage, you can do so at mreportpod.com. We've got a series of podcasts coming. We're actually this week going to be watching T1 and T2 with our James Cameron retrospective. I have not watched either of those films since I was a boy. So it's Mm. always interesting that now that I can apply my adult criti- like film critic lens to a film that like I just watched because I thought it was like cool and stuff like that, like how I interpret it. And have you gone realize- back? Have you gone? I don't mean to interrupt you, but I because I have this is my own issue. Have you gone back and rewatched something you didn't like? Now that you've been doing this a while, oh, man. I see. The, I I think as a kid, I don't know if I gave anything that much reverence. Like, okay. uh, I mean, like you know, and I, I like I, I won't know until I see it, right? When I'm looking through like my um, you know, my 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 voodoo and stuff like that, like I'm like, yo, I don't like this movie. It's like, but it's been so long. Specifically watching T1 and T2, I'm like, I, I think because I'm letting the masses tell me that they're great films, they're just mm. gonna be great films, right? But like when I get to this rewatch, and I'm like, yo, like one, my impression of James Cameron was Ike, Titanic, and Avatar. Sure. Like, yeah, he did some really great stuff in the 80s and 90s. But, like, now having watched some of that stuff, I'm like, damn, this man's really good. Mm-hmm. Like, he understands filmmaking in ways that, like, is just astounding the way he knows how to tell a story and make it look good. I'm in, like, upset with how good stuff. Avatar 2 is going to be because of that, yeah. I still don't believe the movie's coming out. So until I'm in my <laughs> okay? Like, I, I'm sorry. Until I'm in my seat, I will not believe it's coming out. We are going to cover it. It's going to get a re-release, right? I'm going to I'm gonna watch the movie. Like, I'm going to bring my kid to watch the movie. But I have absolutely no idea anything more than just like, welcome back to the world of Avatar. That's great. Disney did that at the land of Pandora a few years ago, all right? So I... I, I don't know. I don't know. But the James Cameron retrospective at Minority Report Film um, is going to be really, really fun. Uh, we just dropped a review. Uh, we, we haven't done like a big show, you know, like a like a like a like a big MMO kind of sort of. And <laughs> we haven't done that in a long time. And, you know, kind of diving into some of this crazy DC talk and all this other mm. stuff and like getting some other reviews. So, yeah, the podcasts are strong. I I got to be honest with you. I am going to be relaunching the Colby Toby podcast soon. I wanted to change into what? I don't know. Um, I I subconsciously I attached a lot of the end of my marriage to my podcast and I just have not been able to mentally put myself in a space where I haven't touched in two years. People are still listening to it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, but at one point <laughs> it will come back probably when I, uh, am finished moving from Atlanta to LA, but yeah, follow me on the socials. You can keep up with my story. And of course these great pods that I lend my talents to, and I cannot wait to come back to be able to do it again. No, we can't wait to have you, man. We truly appreciate having you on and one of our most fun uh, banters ever. I, I, I say that in all honesty and all genuine genuineness, gen genuineness. 
I'm genuine. I'm being genuine when I say that. I guess is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. If I can speak English here, but uh, we do love having you on, Colby. And thanks once again for joining us, man. We got to do it again soon, uh, dear listener. As always, what matters most to us are your thoughts. Have you seen Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Are you polarized on it? Are you on one side of the aisle versus the other? Let us know that. Let us know your thoughts on this review. And let us know your thoughts once you go check out Mr. Max' work over at Minorities Film Report. Let us know all of that on our social medias. Hit us up. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at mm and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike. And Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. You've been listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify apps. If you would be so kind, if you appreciate what we do, to leave us a five star review uh, would take a couple seconds out of your day, make our entire day. We thank everyone who has done so thus far for us. Michael, speaking of giant episodes that Colby just alluded to, tell the good people mm-hmm. what hopefully is coming next at some point, if I ever allow it to be heard. Uh, and then let's have some <laughs> words of wisdom to get out of here on. Yeah, that WTFWB episode of yours, Michael, and I appreciate you because I've been uh, so busy with uh, just ridiculousness lately that you have this 15-page Google document that you've been crushing lately. Whoa! All right, I stand corrected. My tiny episode with M Report Pod (laughs) that's like 15 minutes of commentary on WB. 15 pages? It's going to turn into just the serial killer's manifesto. I'm... I'm, I'm... (laughs) I don't know that I can let that episode see the light of day at this point. You're we'll doing say. you're doing God's work of trying to interpret a shareholder's quarterly call coming from yeah. you know WB and you're trying to read into that and and just take away their true ambition, not their ambitions, but their true evil Intentions. plans. Yeah. I mean this yeah. may shock people, but I'm single. So, <laughs> so we got that episode coming up where Mike loses his mind trying to think of uh, WTF WB is doing and Mr. Zaslav there. My God, we don't know what the hell he's, is going on in his brain. But we also got the Golden Globes coming back. New York Film Festival slate just announced. We we predicted that pretty well, by the way, Mike. And uh, you know, Oscar race checkpoints more. More Oscar profile and movie event reviews, hopefully to come with Colby Mack coming on him. Obviously, words of wisdom: follow Colby. Colby told me and follow M Report Pod on Twitter. Minorities Report Film uh, podcast there, and certainly uh, everything Colby's going to launch in the upcoming months. Colby, we would love the Colby Told Me podcast to come. Yes, back. Uh, just make it happen, my friend, and have us on. We'll we'll come on anytime. Certainly, bud. Colby, thanks once again for joining us. Uh, Guys, as always, when reality sucks, you can come check out the latest with us and our friends. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.